0: Elio, hi, how are you? I can see you, but I can't hear you. Hi, can you, can you hear me? I'm not able to hear you. Okay. You
1: want to message her? Yes. I can hear you now.
0: Oh, perfect. perfect. We were just about to message you uh, about our audio. So I'm glad that you can hear me. Give me one second. I want to set up a backup one right there just in case. Okay. And, and we're going to uh, set up a backup microphone too, just in case.
1: Okay. Sounds good. And just to, to confirm, this is just going to be audio, correct?
0: The plan was to do audio and video, um, but it's your call ultimately if you want to stick with just audio, we're comfortable with that.
1: Yeah, let's stick with just audio. Uh,
0: And Dora set this up. Uh, So she did a fantastic job reaching out to us. We're a little bit surprised when we saw Facebook kind of in the uh, uh, invitation, Uh, but we're excited to have you. Uh, I've listened to some of your podcasts, so I know you've done uh, podcasts. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of my stuff, but uh, it's fairly laid back. I want you to feel super comfortable. Uh, and it's, it's conversation, right? It's just about talking about things that matter to you and things that matter to the body. Uh, and so I'm playing the role of, one, me, um, here, engaging with you, but also I'm playing the role of an advocate for the audience. So if you say something, uh, and I need to dig into it a little bit more, I'm digging into it without the assumption that what you just said is audience fully understands. So it's an effort to bring the audience along with us, and a step set the conversation.
1: That makes sense. That makes absolute sense. I did have the chance to spend some time on your site, um, and and I listened to a couple uh, of the segments that you had um, in August and September. I love the community that you're building, um, and I'm really excited that you're having me on. Well,
0: this should be no more than forty five minutes. Okay. Um, so going uh, through the interview. Uh, prep, I sent Dora. Did she get that over to you? She did. She did. Okay. Was there anything on that list that, um, you didn't want to cover, you didn't think it was appropriate, or everything kind of within what you wanted to talk about? And I can review it here if you want me to, do it real quick. Yeah,
1: let, let's walk through it real quick. That'd be great.
0: All right. So, we always start the show with a bit of your personal and professional background. Love that. You can start with far back if you want or you can you can bring you can pull us into the story it's like a movie right wherever in the movie you want to bring us in you should bring us in and you're like okay and then I want to talk a little bit about the role of public policy right why does public policy matter for a company like Facebook and why should, right if you're an association or independent you need to be thinking about public policy and engaging uh, in, in that world, right? So if we could talk a little bit about that, I think that's going to add context to what we do on a daily basis and what you're promoting or advocating for on, the, on behalf of
1: Facebook. Yeah, that's great. And I'll just share with you my, so I sit on the public policy team. My specific team manages engagement with a third-party advocacy community. So nonprofit organizations, advocacy orgs, um, think tanks. Um, we Inadvertently, we, we, we work really, we're a tight-knit team. So we work very closely. Um, we have a vertical on our team that specifically focuses on work with the small business community. Um, so I just want you to know that that that's not my day-to-day, um, but it is uh, work that I'm familiar with, um, mainly because I'm making sure that the advocates that I work closely with um are aware of just the the economic opportunity um. You know that that Facebook really focuses on as it relates to minority uh, and women-owned small businesses.
0: Such a great podcast answer. So there, I'm asking a question. You're clarifying. That's perfect for the podcast, right? Like, yeah, this okay. is important. You know, my title says public policy, but this is what I do and care about. Matter of teaching public policy. So that okay. great, right? And then we can dig into that a little bit more. Um, okay. I think we would be remiss or completely ignoring the gorilla and the elephant in the room if we don't talk about Facebook perceptions versus reality, right? So there is a narrative obviously shaped by Facebook. So what's the perception versus reality? And how do you view Facebook as somebody who's on the inside?
1: Yeah, I, I can speak to that. I mean, really, I, I can speak to my experience, right? Um, I think, you know, we're a big company. We're in the news on a day-to-day basis on a variety of different topics. But I think, um, you know, I think probably what's helpful is just, you know, hearing a human who works inside this large 70,000-person company talk about their experience, and I I can certainly do that. Yeah, and somebody
2: other than Sandberg or Zuckerberg, right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Right. Because those are the
2: two voices you normally hear. So it's good to hear a different voice uh, outside of those two. And then the next thing is Facebook's support of small businesses, which is the crux. Right. The reason the reason why we're here. Uh, So uh, I'm going to, you know, kind of the personal professional. We might we're going to get through that maybe in five minutes or less. You don't have to feel in a hurry. That's my job to kind of make sure we're we're moving the conversation along. The okay. role of public policy or maybe even the your role, right, of what you're doing with these organizations and your why. Yeah. Uh, another five minutes, and then we'll get into Facebook kind of from your experience. Maybe another five minutes, and then that's about 15 minutes in, and then we want to get into the crux, right, of why you're here. Facebook and the support of small businesses. Okay, um, and then how you you intend to measure impact for that? Uh, and then I had one last thing uh, I wanted to cover. Uh, and then the initiatives, right? What are the concrete things that uh, Facebook has in place? And then around the issue of authorita- or authoritative information and other Facebook policy initiatives aimed at improving the platform for both individuals and businesses.
1: Say that. Can you, can you share that last question again?
2: Yes. So uh, initiatives to help make Facebook a resource of authoritative information and other Facebook policy initiatives aimed at improving the platform for both individuals and businesses. If Is that something that you want to get into?
1: Um. Yeah, so Facebook as a resource for authoritative information and other policies that did you say speak to the to small businesses or
2: aimed at improving the platform for both individuals and businesses. So, are there things that Facebook is working on to kind of improve the experience that people have on the platform? And then, how are you improving those uh, experiences for small businesses? So, uh, what are some things that maybe Facebook has? that small businesses might not be aware of that would enhance the, um, the value of Facebook to that business.
1: Got it. Okay. Let me do a little bit of thinking on that.
2: Okay. It's going to come up very organically though. I'm not going to put put the question to you, like, what are the policies? Like, none of that is going to occur this way. These are just the bullet points. Okay. Okay. So I might say like, I'm on Facebook, right, and I'm I'm probably using Facebook all wrong, right? Like like there's a way that Facebook is intended to be used. Why don't you give me some tips on like a small business person really using the full, the getting the full value out of the platform? And then you might be able to say, hey, for small businesses, this is how we really want people to be engaging with the platform.
1: Got it. Okay.
2: Oh, not necessarily post and pray like what I'm doing, but really you need to be engaged in a conversation, right? Facebook is social in nature. You shouldn't just be posting on it. You should be engaging in building your audience or something like that.
1: Yep, got it. And I think the one area where I don't have um, as much info just because I'm not deep on the team is just the the metrics for how to measure success. I don't think I could speak to that in depth.
2: OK, then let's stick with the small business, the small businesses, particularly minority owned businesses. Are you guys making this are you any minority owned business? Sorry, say
1: that again. You're kind of going in and out. I can hear you, but then it breaks and then you're back.
2: Oh, OK. Maybe it's our connection. We'll have to double check that. Am I clear now?
1: Yeah, you're clear now.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, If that happens, don't hesitate to kind of indicate that that's happening. Uh, And if we need to do cuts and posts, we will. Uh, Of course, we want to have like, but that's Zoom, right? You want to have one conversation uninterrupted, which would be ideal. But if we do, don't say, hey, Elio, I didn't hear that last question or you broke up there. We'll stop. I'll rephrase the question and we'll pick up where we left off. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Now, final thing, last name. How do I pronounce your last name?
1: You pronounce it Dorsonville.
2: Dorsonville.
1: Yeah. Okay, but before yeah. before that, I think you were saying something before it cut. Do you remember what that was? About 30 oh. seconds ago? I think you were asking me a question, whether or not oh, we yeah, focus yeah. on minority-owned. That's right. Minority owned or black black owned. Are we being specific there? Um, you know, I I think I will say both, but we do have some initiatives that have been um really tailored to the Black community, others to the Latinx, and then others that are Black, Latinx, women and veteran. Um, but if it's something that's tailored to the Black community, I will specify that. But I think if you ask me minority-owned, I can go broad, but then I can zero in on, on Black community initiatives.
2: Does that work? I didn't want to box you in with my question. So what I'll uh, the way I'll ask my question is allow you to target exactly what you want to speak to and highlight the issues wherever you would like the conversation to go. So a lot of this is you and I playing off of each other. Okay. I have no agenda here except to serve the audience, right? So we'll figure it out. I love it. I love it. Okay. Are you ready?
1: Um, give me 30 seconds.
2: Uh, even though we're on camera, um, Devante, we're, we're gonna ju- this is going to just be audio only.
0: All right. Okay, let's do it. All right. Let me know when you're ready, Devonta. All right,
2: 614 Startups Nation, welcome to another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. My name is Elio Harmon, your host, and listen, mama, we made it, all right? I think by far this is the biggest tech company we've had a representative from on the show. Very excited for this conversation, and my special guest, Monique Dorsonville of Facebook. Monique, welcome to the show.
1: Elio, thank you so much for having me. I am pumped and excited to connect with your audience.
2: Yeah, there are a few things since I've been doing this for three and a half years that got me like as geeked, like a little kid. That when I saw that email come over saying, hey, somebody with, from Facebook wants to come on the platform and talk to you. So thank you for this opportunity. It's great to have you.
1: Really, the opportunity is mine. You're creating this incredible, vibrant community where Um, You know, folks can share lessons learned and, um, you know, there's not enough spaces like this. So thank you for your leadership.
2: I appreciate it. We're going to jump right into the conversation, Um, but we start every episode with a bit of the personal and professional background of the guests. So why don't you share a little bit about that with us?
1: Absolutely. Um, So hello, everyone. I am Monique Dorsonville. I uh, am originally from Los Angeles, California, though I've been living in D.C. uh, for the last 12 years. Uh, I'm currently a public policy director at Facebook, where I lead policy engagement with third party think tanks, advocacy organizations, and nonpartisan civil rights organizations. Um, Just kind of reaching back, you know, before I joined Facebook, I served in the Obama administration uh, from beginning to end, most recently as deputy chief of staff to Valerie Jarrett. Um, Valerie led uh, the Office of Public Engagement, the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs, and the White House Council on Women and Girls. And um, in my position, you know, my responsibilities at the White House really ranged from working with grassroots advocates and private sector leaders to local and you know, federal elected officials. Um, you know, we were leading outreach efforts uh, on social impact campaigns, and this really varied from focusing on criminal justice reform, healthcare access women's leadership, LGBTQ rights, um, and STEM education. Um, You know, when when I think about why I work in policy now, the origin story, um, it it goes beyond um, Barack and Michelle Obama. You know, for me, um, I I developed an interest in policy uh, in my last year of university uh, in Georgia. Um, I worked uh, in the Georgia General Assembly for Stacey Abrams as a legislative aide. And this is when she was two years um, into her role as a state legislature. Um, you know, when I um, left, you know, working for Stacey and, and shifted to the federal government um, after being at the White House, I had a bit of a professional identity crisis. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to continue working in environments where I could have an impact on on people. Um, I knew that I wanted to work on a global scale, but I found it very difficult to pinpoint where I would do that from. Um, You know, one thing I knew was that I wanted to continue uh, to make a difference and and work in a cutting edge innovative space. Um, And and so tech really spoke to me with that regard. Um, The more I spoke to tech policy folks, it became clear to me that there's a lot of big questions in the tech space that are still actively being answered. Um, You know, there's a lot of questions around diversity in tech, right? Making sure that we have Um, a diverse set of voices at the table when we're talking about these impactful issues that impact our everyday lives. Um, So that is what led me um, from local government to the federal government um, to where I sit at Facebook today.
2: Listen. Talk about resume, right? So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get into this a little bit, okay? So you're coming out of school. You're working for Stacey Abrams, clearly a political superstar, right? And not like the mantle was handed to her; she earned it, right? And she put herself every step of the way. She's been putting herself on. Then you go to the White House, right? I mean, everybody was completely blown away. You were there from the beginning, 2008. The whole world was hopeful. There, there is there such a thing as peaking too early that contributed to that identity crisis? Because you're describing something that I know, like, if you go to the NBA and win the championship in your rookie year, it's kind of like, what's next? So did some of that contribute to some of that identity crisis, which is why you found yourself kind of in a, in a bit of a, you know, not, not necessarily a pickle, but you had to make a decision about what was next?
1: You know, when I was thinking about what came next um, after the White House— I think when you when you spend so many of your formative years in in one environment and and you know, for me, it was a historical environment. It was an administration that, you know, folks were excited about across the country and around the world. Um, you know, this was the first black president and first lady. Um, they were transformative leaders. Um and, you know, their administration did things differently, right? Um, you know, Valerie Jarrett, the the president's senior advisor, Um, She, you know, with the president created the public engagement arm of the White House so that everyday people could have a voice within the administration. Right. So we were working with labor leaders, women's rights leaders, LGBTQ leaders, um, you know, immigration leaders. And, you know, at a young age, you know, I, I think I was very fortunate to have really brilliant mentors and people to look up to. Um, when I think about Stacey Abrams, when I think about the First Lady, when I think about Valerie Jarrett, um, you know, these were people that I wanted to model myself after, right? These were leaders who um, you know, took their roles, their, their public positions incredibly seriously. And, you know, not only did they do innovative work in those posts, but I think they they modeled what it looks like to show up for a whole generation. Of young people. Um, And, you know, I I think young women of color were some of the people who were watching the closest, right? Because, you know, growing up, I I can't, you know, I I couldn't name five political leaders (laughs) when I was younger. I didn't know that public policy or tech policy, I didn't know that those were actually positions that you could step into. Um, I think that all young people go through a moment where you're, you know, you're trying to figure out who am I and what do I want to contribute to the world? You're also trying to figure out who am I outside of the work that I do. And so I think spending my 20s in such a formative space gave me incredible tools, an incredible foundation, but then I had to spread my wings and figure out, okay, outside of this incredible transformative administration, who do I want to be in the world? And so I took that time. I took, um, you know, about six months to do that work. I worked with an executive coach to really just peel back the layers and figure out what am I passionate about? What am I good at? And how can I take those skills and transfer them to a different space, an unknown space? So part of it was about taking a risk and being comfortable doing so.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned that you worked in an office that for the first time gave certain segments of society um, like an ear. Right. They, they, they The, 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 the uh, public engagement office gave people for the first time an opportunity to go and engage with their government at a very high level. You had a huge portfolio, though. A lot of different issues were coming through that office. I want to get into the importance of public policy and engaging with your government, both for large companies like the Facebooks of the world, and then for small business, whether that's through a chamber. You know, why is why does that matter so much? That civic engagement from a business perspective.
1: I think civic engagement is one of the cornerstone indicators of a healthy democracy. Um, I think that. You know, if you look at public schools (laughs) these days, um, you know, I think there are less and less investments in civics in teaching young people about how government works. Um, I think as a young person, understanding, um, you know, how to register to vote, how a bill becomes a law, um, you know, the difference between a senator and a congressperson, a state senator, right, Um, a, a mayor, you know, versus a governor. You know, what do all of these positions do and how do they function in your day-to-day life, I think that information is powerful because I think when you understand what those roles are, you start to understand larger systems like the healthcare system, the criminal justice system, um, financial literacy. Um, So I'm a huge advocate (laughs) and proponent um, of making sure that we're equipping young people with, with this information. Um, You know, I was recently reading a report from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, um, and it said that public policy is a foundation for business creation, for growth, for overall economic prosperity. Um, At its best, it can be helpful to the entire state and expand that success onto the national level. Um, However, poorly planned public policy can really cripple businesses, destroy jobs, and inhibit small businesses' ability to succeed. Um, you know, with that frame, I think that, you know, effective public policy, it, it can support businesses of all shapes and sizes. And, um, you know, I think tax and regulatory policies are important. Um, I think those really set the rules of the game, so to speak, um, ensuring that all businesses are competing on, on a level playing field. Um, you know, infrastructure policies are important. When you think about roads and transportation and um, merchandise, you know, just getting goods and services for, from one place to another, um, you know, I, I also think about expanding access to broadband internet. Right, um, I think that gives businesses everywhere the chance to meet challenges of an increasingly connected and digital economy. Um, and then I think that policies, you know, that support general economic growth and development um, and education are, are just important to build. A pipeline of skilled workers, and um, you know, when you have skilled workers, you know, you're attracting talent, um, you know, to areas with you know, promising, well-paying jobs. Um, I think of one of my really good friends. His name is Gautam Raghavan. We worked together in the Obama administration, and he's currently the deputy director of presidential personnel in the Biden administration. He oftentimes says that people are policy, and I deeply agree with that. Um, as I shared when I was younger, I did not know that these jobs that these these positions were actual jobs that people could go to school for and get training for. Um, you know when I think about tech policy, you know it's a relatively niche field but when you peel the layers, um, there's so many different interesting positions that people can pursue at the national level, um, at the local le- level, um, within companies, Um, And, you know, I think these discussions and the people in these roles help shape the rules of the road for the rest of us. So I think it's important to know what these positions are um, and also to hold the people who have these jobs
2: accountable. And, And, you know, I fancy myself a policy wonk or a political enthusiast. All right, so before we pivot to Facebook, I got to ask you one more question about that. So you talked about civic engagement, and I think in the U.S. what really drives civic engagement uh, down sometimes is this, this feeling of disenchantment. Like I vote, and the changes that I desire to see, I don't really see. I see a lot of the same old, same old. So from the insider's point of view, what do you think has the greatest impact on public policy? All right, I'll give you a couple of options here. And you might say, hey, it's a combination of all of them. Is it ideology of the politician? Is it macro factors, factors that are both inside of the country, economic issues, uh, you know, geopolitics, right? Is it lobbying, special interest groups really trying to hammer away what they would like to accomplish? Or is it civic engagement? What, from the inside, as you as you saw all of these factors interacting, what do you, what did you come away with that you felt like, wow? At least in this town, at least in Washington D.C., here's what's really driving public policy.
1: Gosh, um, I love the question. I really think you know. I think it's a combination of those things. Um, you know, when I think about Uh, ideology or, um, you know, values, I think that a politician um, or government representative, um, you know, particularly those, you know, who who are in political positions who come and go with different administrations, um, I think it's incredibly important for those folks to have a North Star by which um, or through which they're, they're governing, Right. I think um, in the absence of that north star and the absence of those values, I think you see people bend and and cave to lobbying and to other special interests. Um, you know, one of the things that really drew me to you know President Obama's administration was that connection to values, right? And I think that at a macro level will translate itself into um, just the the structural issues, right? Um, I think, you know, whether you're looking at the economy or the budget or, um, you know, one of the first bills that President Obama passed was the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, right? And that stemmed back to his grandmother um, really receiving unequal treatment in the workplace because she was a woman, right? In in the first half of basically early early 20th century, right? Um, and so I think when politicians have that core set of values, I think we see that translated in the decisions they make. Um, we see that translated in the policies that they champion. Um, healthcare, you know, the, the, the Affordable Care Act um, was a core um, you know, policy that President Obama pushed forward. Um, and, you know, that had to do with access. It had to do with equity, right? And and from my vantage point, those were two important values um, that, you know, were cornerstones of, of how he approached his domestic policy. Um, and then I, I think you look at folks now, you know, there's a new, you know, a, a lot of the newer, um, you know, members you know they're saying you know we're actually not going to accept any money from lobbyists when we're campaigning, right? Money doesn't have a place in in politics, right? And and it's it goes back to you know what you mentioned about influence. Um, I think that is really admirable. Um, I know that it's hard, <laughs> but I I think it's really admirable because it really allows um, politicians to lead from more of a values driven place versus feeling indebted. Uh, to, to folks who, you know, are, are lobbying for specific things either way.
2: You know, I think answers like that are needed because life is nuanced. It's complicated. A lot of things go into it. You I mean, timing, the moment, right? Pressure, you know, whatever the case may be. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to answer that. Now, we're going to take a quick break, all right, and thank everybody who's been listening and hanging in there with us. We'll be right back with more from Monique, uh dorsonville of facebook great conversation i love it (laughs) really nice great questions yeah so that's what i mean like if you throw me something i'll throw it to you we'll have a little bit of fun with it because i'm the audience right it's like what would the audience want us to ask so great we're going to take a quick break which is a great opportunity just to catch your breath i think you're doing absolutely great Thanks. We've done kind of the background stuff. We're going to pivot into Facebook and the initiatives for small businesses now. So how do you feel things are going so far?
1: I like it. I think you have great energy. I like the questions. I feel like we're playing well off of each other. Um, There's a few questions I wasn't expecting, but they're really thoughtful and they feel very natural within the context of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm into it. I like it.
2: Great. Great. So I think that so let's say somebody was about to t- like oh i'm listening okay i'm gonna turn it oh and then we come back with this what's influencing public pilot public- that-, that draws the listener in for another another couple minutes okay i'll hang around yeah, i'll hear yeah. what what's going on with facebook so there's a little bit of that happening as well yeah all i like right? it yeah all right you ready devonte we're gonna start again uh, yeah
0: okay just
2: your wireless from back grab some water like yeah, there yeah,
0: please please okay. yeah
2: we have time Okay. Is that better now? Yeah. You think that might have been contributing right. to the breaking up? Yeah. Okay. Breaking <laughs> up a
0: little bit because I'm thinking, uh, this stuff. No, but I got it set up to prepare. Okay. Like a, that'll save. Yeah, let me, yeah, um... Audio. Okay, I'm back. Okay, all right. Are you ready, Devante? Can you hear me?
2: Monique? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back. I'm continuing my conversation with Monique Dorsonville of Facebook. Monique, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. All right, so now we're going to talk Facebook, Okay. Now, everybody has a different reaction when they hear the name Facebook. Some of it is political in nature. Uh, Some of it is because, yeah, it's a platform that they use. Uh, Whatever direction they come from, everybody has a view on Facebook. But I want to dig into your perception as somebody who works for the company and your experience from the inside. What is it like working at Facebook?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I, I think to your point, Every large, you know, company has challenges and, and pressure points, and yes, Facebook is no exception to that. Um, when I think about Facebook, you know, the Facebook that I know, I think about, you know, most recently, you know, the COVID-related efforts that my colleagues and and peers are, are driving. Right. So, you know, this is the work to help um, millions of people get vaccinated. Um, you know, it's the work to remove. Um, Covid-related misinformation, as so many people are really, um, you know, wanting you know authoritative information uh, in this space. Um, I think about the work that we're doing to you know support um, minority-owned businesses, um, to support uh, Black creators and and nonprofits on the platform. Um, you know, I also think about the millions of small businesses that use the platform. Um, really to help you know run their businesses and provide for their families um i you know my background is in government i think about state and local governments that use the platform to send alerts and, and warnings about um, extreme weather um you know making people making sure that people are safe and, and connected um i also think about um, groups on the platform um you know i, I think particularly during covid when, there's increased isolation. Um, you know, Folks have found a, a lot of community on the platform. When I think about my day-to-day at the company, I, I think about my team. Um, my team works with third-party advocacy organizations, civil and human rights organizations, think tanks. Many of these organizations um, are using the platform to connect with their stakeholders Um, Many are also engaged in really important tech policy conversations, conversations about privacy, conversations about election security, conversations about misinformation. Um, I think that interplay between private companies, the public sector is really important. Um, I don't think anyone at Facebook pretends to have all the answers. Um, So I, I think it is really healthy to have an ecosystem where you're working with external partners, really, to advise, provide recommendations, um, and then to point out issue areas that the company needs to focus more on. So I really focus my day-to-day on creating that that two-way conduit so that our internal teams and subject matter experts um, can have that feedback as they're working towards broader picture goals.
0: I
2: think Facebook is like any tool. It, 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 You get out of it how you use it, right? So for somebody who goes to Facebook and they're looking for a group that's supportive, maybe they're dealing with some kind of rare health condition, and it would be really hard to identify like a, a, a support group within their city. Let's say they live in rural America. They can go to Facebook and find community. Or you have, in the case of uh, myself, 614 Startups, I'm building community. Some of the people in my community, go to Facebook as their primary, where some go to other uh, social networks. But that's a great way to engage with those folks and have conversations. So Facebook is like everything else. It's about how you use it. And I want to now go to why we're having this conversation. The work that you're doing and why it matters for our audience, and maybe even within our audience, which is uh, mainly startups, right, small businesses, go to the core of minority small businesses. How has your work kind of informed the conversation we're having today?
1: Absolutely, Um, you know, so as you know, small businesses have been hit especially hard during COVID. Um, You know, as a company, um, you know, we've been investing in health, um, growth, and support of small businesses, Um, For quite some time, and so when the pandemic hit, we really felt that it was our responsibility um, to up that work to ensure that our products, um, our tools, and resources could really be a lifeline um, for growth. As small businesses were really thinking through innovative ways um, to focus on on their business models. Um, Over the last two years, we've prioritized developing tools to make it easier for small businesses um, to transition and sell online. Um, including, you know, Facebook and Instagram shops, um, different paid and online events. Um, there's also a Facebook Business Suite that has um, a wealth of free resources that folks can access. Um, you know, when we think about minority-owned small businesses, we know that Black small business owners were disproportionately affected by the pandemic. Um, really, the bottom line is that minority and women-owned small businesses entered the pandemic already at a disadvantage. Um, We know that minority-led businesses, even before the pandemic, faced greater structural challenges, um, greater challenges accessing credit and capital. And so, you know, we rolled out specific tools, um, new tools and resources to make sure that we were addressing those specific issues. So, you know, we introduced um, a new small business resource hub, um, it's on Facebook. It connects small business owners with grants and loan opportunities. Um, you know different business resources. Uh, the fi- the hub is really ensuring that folks have educational um, and business resources as they're navigating. Um, really keeping the doors open during the pandemic. Um, an, an initiative that I, I want to lift that we just um, announced um, last week and that will be going live on October first is the Facebook Invoice Fast Track Program. Um, a colleague of mine, his name is Jason Trimu. He's our head of Global Supplier Diversity. Um, you should have him on <laughs> if you haven't already met him. Um, but he, you know, he was just looking at the broader landscape and the one thing that he was hearing from small businesses was that a lot of their capital was tied up in invoices and so you know it was inhibiting them uh from growing right and so what we're doing essentially is eligible US based small businesses will have the opportunity to get cash immediately for the goods and services that they're invoiced for, from their customers um so instead of waiting 60 days 120 days um, to be paid, which is a normal period that it takes, um, they'll get that funding immediately. So we'll be funding a hundred million in invoices on an ongoing basis. Um, you know, the, the last thing that that I really want to lift up, um, we're doing a lot um, specifically on the supplier diversity side. So um, you know, we set a goal to spend at least one billion with diverse suppliers next year and every year thereafter. Um, as a part of this, we'll spend at least 100 million annually with Black owned suppliers, um, from facilities to construction um, to marketing agencies. So lots of activity in the space specific to um, minority owned businesses.
2: All right, listen, now I'm I'm, I'm I'm scrambling. I'm like, hold on, can I hold all of this in my memory? Where is my pen? I should be using a pen right now. So let's break it down one by one. And if I miss one, I'm going to ask you to please remind me, because I want the audience to really get all of the value out of this. All right, so number one, right, pre-pandemic, pre-George Floyd, right? And, and you know, some, sometimes I like, I did the forehead slap you know, shortly after that and all the unrest of 2020 and how many, all you know, businesses kind of jumped on, hey, we need to do something. Pre-pandemic and pre the, the, the issues, uh, uh, racial issues in 2020, Facebook was thinking about small businesses. One, the need to transition from simply brick and mortar to doing more e-commerce. You know, this might not necessarily be in your wheelhouse, but just from a public policy kind of getting small businesses to move in the direction that the trend is moving towards e-commerce, why is that important for a small business, right, to have that toehold in e-commerce and attempt to grow their brands that way, whether they've been traditional brick and mortar or if they're going to start out e-commerce in the first place?
1: I think it's a great question. Um, we, we prioritize developing these tools really to make it easier for small businesses to make that transition, which is not an intuitive transition. Um, One of the ways that I've seen small businesses thrive um, in this transition is through the use of personalized advertising. Um, You know, so a local bakery, um, you know, can efficiently and cost-effectively find customers who want to make a friend's birthday special by sending cupcakes, right? Um, You know, by creating a free digital storefront um, with Facebook or Instagram shops, um, a card maker can transition her, f- you know, former physical foot traffic to virtual visits, right? All while showing, um, you know, her full personality in a customizable one-stop shop experience. Um, I also think about rest restaurant owners, right? If a restaurant owner um, wants to let their community know how to support their business and others like it, they can use free products. Um, like Facebook pages or Instagram stories to communicate to their neighbors, um, you know that we're all in this together, and there are other ways to support their business. And so when I think about that transition from brick and mortar um, to digital, I think about connecting people. I think about um, a really affordable and and personalized way to connect with people in your individual vicinity. Um, and to the point that you made earlier about very niche groups, um, I also think about businesses that have very, you know, something very specific <laughs> that they're selling to a niche audience, and they're able to get the word out about their product, right? Um, you know, in a way that may not happen if if you, the only opportunity that someone would have would it be to walk in their business um, real time in person.
2: Let's talk about two things that you brought up earlier that I think Facebook plays a very interesting role in, right? Number one, tech aversion. There's a generational issue that we have to grapple with, whether it's, you know, society as a whole or you're talking about Black-owned businesses. This issue of tech aversion And then also this issue of broadband access. So if I go to the hub, yeah, there's this great tool, there's Facebook shops, but some people, when they hear Facebook shops, Instagram shops, they shut down, right? And and, and that tends to be a barrier. So how's Facebook thinking about the barrier of tech aversion? And then how do you guys kind of think about also access, issues around access and broadband and actually getting on Facebook for a lot of these businesses?
1: I'd say the the first one, tech aversion, um, you know, some of what I'm seeing is is really um intergenerational education. So I'm seeing a lot of young folks with their grandparents on Instagram. Um, I know I spend a lot of time um, with my mom, you know, getting her comfortable um, with new products and new technology. Um, you know, f- for me, for you know, my siblings, for, for folks in my generation. Um, you know, using a portal or creating an IG page—it's um, it, it, second nature, right? And I would say even for generations younger than me, they're even more comfortable. Um, but but I am seeing a lot of investment from young folks to get others in their family um, more connected, right? And I think the the pandemic in some ways um, accelerated that because I think there was a need and a necessity to stay connected. Um, so I, I think it. It was a a natural kind of forcing function um, for a lot of folks to adapt technology that they may not have otherwise. Um, I would also say, you know, one thing that we focus on at Facebook um, is trainings, right? So we have a number of partnerships um, with, you know, different constituencies. But one partnership that's coming to mind uh, for me, our programs team um, partnered with Pan America and AARP, and the goal there was really around media literacy. So working with seniors um, to, you know, work with them to to spot what misinformation looks like, right? Because once you get on the platforms, it's also important to know, you know, how to put on two-factor verification, right? Um, How to, you know, how to keep yourself safe online, um, how to read privacy policies. Um, And then, you know, I think there's also um, just this piece around making sure that the information that you're consuming is coming from reliable sources. And that's not intuitive, right? That was never taught in school for me. <laughs> if you go to my mom's generation, my grandparents' generation, that's not something that you, you would learn unless you had the opportunity. Um, so we do do a number of free trainings and we target different um, different constituency groups um, based on, on, on need, right? Um, I would say on, on the broadband front, um, broadband is an incredibly important issue. Access to broadband is, is a, an issue that the company cares about deeply. Um, we have a connectivity team and a state and local policy team that just focus on the issue of connectivity. Um, so they are looking at um, you know different rural communities that, that don't have access um, and, and building partnerships Um, to ensure that communities that are not connected can get connected. Um, I I don't have details. I I can send you some follow-up background um, that we could potentially include in the show notes. But um, Facebook had a... There's one specific partnership that I'm thinking about that was in Puerto Rico that was focused on broadband access. I know we have a number of other partnerships in rural communities um, across the U.S. I also know that during COVID this was a very big area of focus for the company as you know um you know you had a lot of kids that that literally couldn't go to school because they could not access the internet um, and so when you talk about education when you talk about issues of access and equity i think covid really shined a light a bright light um, uh, on where those vulnerabilities exist in our social fabric um you know if if you cannot Access day-to-day education because you cannot get online. I think that points to something deeper and more structural um, with our education system um, and, and, and with our economic system, because you're not really, you're not leveling the playing field and giving everyone an equal shot.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of like the debate during uh, the healthcare debate, right? Is healthcare a right? We're kind of on the borderline of is broadband a right, right? I mean, it is so critical to living in the 21st century that being without it puts people at a significant disadvantage. Now, if I know my audience like I do, they're like, "Yo, forget all this broadband stuff." Forget all of this education stuff. Tell me how to get paid. All right. You mentioned this funding of invoices. Let's let's get into how people access that. How do they apply and how do you get the funding to them under this program?
1: Absolutely. Um, So to get paid and to skip the delay, um, I I do want to share the website because that's where um, all of the resources um, are. And I want to direct folks to that so that folks can have access. Um, So the website for this program is facebook.com forward slash business forward slash invoice dash fast dash track. I will share that link with you afterwards so that you have that information um, and yeah i mean you nailed it the bottom line is that people will get paid faster they will receive payment immediately instead of waiting 30 60 90 or 120 days um you know by participating this will improve um, a small business's cash flow um, they're going to get the money that they need to run their business and to keep it strong um you know and i think taking advantage of, of growth opportunities that they may miss out on if they didn't have you know, that capital um, that they could readily access. Um, So head to the website, you can apply for the program, um, and it launches on October 1st. So I I, I would check it out the day that it launches if if folks have the ability to.
2: Okay, perfect. So uh, when this comes out, the program will already be live. Uh, and I know you have, is it first come, first serve with those dollars? Because I think you said up to $100 million. So, hey, you need to act quickly if you want to gain access to this. It's not an, an open-ended fund here.
1: That's correct. We're starting with $100 million, um, So folks should apply uh, as soon as possible. And that is October 1st that this launches.
2: All right. And, and I know everything has details. We won't jump into the details, but the fact that this program is even available, educate yourself. Use the link. Go out there. Find out if you qualify. Apply so that you can access these funds. The other thing that you mentioned, go ahead.
1: I'll, well, I'll just say one thing about eligibility since um, since you lifted that. The program will be available to U.S. for-profit companies that are certified as majority-owned, operated, and controlled by racial or ethnic minorities, women, US military veterans, and folks from the LGBTQ community, as well as folks with disabilities. So companies must be certified by an approved partner organization. The partners are listed on the website, and generally eligible companies must also have invoices with corporate or government customers that have an investment grade rating. So go to the website to check out the details. I just wanted to kind of lift those eligibility guidelines
2: reminds me I need to go get certified. All right folks, if you're out there and you happen to be eligible right for uh, to be certified as a minority owned business, you should do it because there, you know, opportunities like this are going to be opportunities that you miss by, you know, just not doing it or intending to do so and never getting uh, to it. So I highly encourage everybody who's eligible to go ahead and get your certification. And then hopefully you still have time after that point uh, to apply for this program so that you could gain access to it. The next thing I wanted uh, to talk about was uh, you mentioned supplier diversity, right? As an initiative, and that, there's, that you guys have committed a billion dollars towards supplier diversity. What sorts of companies, right, that, that fall into this wheelhouse of minority-owned businesses. What are some 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 companies that you've seen have success uh, in a supplier diversity-related, not supplier diversity, like you only gave it to them because of that certification, right? What, what are some successes that you could point to with this program of people who are doing business with Facebook uh, and, and growing through this partnership?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in 2016, Facebook launched, um, we launched our supplier diversity program to help um, diverse owned companies do business with Facebook and use our platform to grow their business by connecting with the people and, and the communities that they serve. Um, you know, from the produce served in our cafes to, um, you know, the data centers that we have across the country. Um, you know, we really wanted to make sure that um, we were being competitive and had an inclusive supply chain. Um, that would help, you know, deliver better, better services for for our community. Um, you know, we, you know, shared um, data p- publicly um, that really walks through um, our, our numbers. Um, and so, you know, one thing that I, I would love to do is just point you to a newsroom post that we have um, on our Facebook newsroom page. It's called "The Purpose in Procurement: um, Facebook Supplier Diversity." And it really dives into the benchmarks that we set, um, as well as some of the um, achievements that we've had in this space as our team has continued to grow.
2: All right, so there you have it, folks. You have um, the transition, the e-commerce being made easy by Facebook. You have Facebook doing the education side of it, dealing with issues probably around tech aversion, also advocating for broadband access. You have this $100 million fund to help small businesses get access to funds that are locked up in invoicing and terms. And then you have supplier diversity opportunities, which we'll link to all of this content uh, in the show notes. So, Monique, I'm going to turn it over to you. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on so far? Uh, Are there any things that are top of mind for you that our audience should be aware of? There's two things
1: that I, I wanted to lift. Um, we're doing some really interesting work um, with Black students, specifically um, to help folks cultivate digital skills. Um, so we have uh, 100,000 scholarships that are specifically targeted towards Black students um, to get digital skills certifications. It's called the Facebook Blueprint Program. Um, if it works for you, I'd love to share that link with you as well so we can include it in the show notes. Um, And and anyone who's interested can apply. Um, The other thing that I wanted to lift, um, one thing that we did as a company is really just made it easier um, for Black businesses to be discovered on the platform. So Black entrepreneurs, small businesses, local shops can now identify their page as a Black or minority-owned business on Facebook. So anyone who wants to to support them um, can, can find them easily. Um, the best way to to find a black owned business um, is in our business nearby tool. Um, there's lots of resources there, but that's just something that I would encourage um, for, for folks who fit into that category.
2: Perfect, Monique, and I appreciate you spending the time with us. I think this has been so valuable for uh, our audience. So appreciate you coming on the show. I always do my. Sometimes I forget to do my one takeaway, but I will do my takeaway uh, today. And that's about leveraging resources for their intended purposes. It's very tempting for social media to become a time suck, to become a place that you just log on and don't know where the last two hours went, where these platforms are actively making efforts to help your business succeed. Use the tool as intended. And nobody said don't have any fun, all right? Set aside some time for that. But it sounds like if you go to that small business hub, you might uh, discover an opportunity to truly grow your
0: business. Thank you for joining us on another episode. Peace. Thank you so much for having me.